Greetings, Earthlings. Welcome to Satellite, Profile Theater's online supplementary magazine. Satellite is where you will come for interviews with artists, activists, and educators, and whoever else might give you a deeper understanding of the work that Profile puts on the stage. With Satellite, Profile is always looking for new avenues to deepen our audience's experience of the art, pulling back the curtain, providing insight, and giving our audience a glimpse of the act of creation. And now, welcome to Satellite. Hello all and welcome to Satellite orbiting the Lauren Yee Festival. Next weekend, February 23rd through 25th, Profile Theater is presenting staged readings of uh, new and lesser known plays by one of our season's featured writers, Lauren Yee. I'm super excited about this weekend. We've got three very different works. Uh, Mother Russia, The Song of Summer, and Samsara. Uh, And these are directed by three different directors, all with truly stellar casts that include uh, a really exciting blend of some profile regulars, as well as plenty of fantastic new artists that we're excited to get to know and share with you. And speaking of artists who are new to Profile, uh, all three readings will have some sound and costume design support from two designers who are new to Profile, but personal favorites of mine. Uh, Rory Stitt uh, will be designing sound, and Allison Norman Johnson will be providing minimal but meaningful costume design. Uh, In my opinion, all three of these plays managed to capture this sort of lightning in a bottle of theater that is being both very thought-provoking and substantive uh, and thematically dense while also being incredibly funny. It's going to be three great shows, and we definitely hope you will check it out. Now... Not to bury the lead, but today's episode of Satellite features none other than Lauren Yee herself, uh, talking with artistic director Josh Hecht during his recent visit to New York. I love getting more insight into these plays through this interview, and I hope you will too. Enjoy uh, Josh Hecht speaking with Lauren Yee. Hi, Lauren Yee. Hi, Josh. It's great to see you again. It's been a while. I was like, it's great to physically see you. I know. Because I realized so many of my colleagues in theater, I've like seen them or talked to them, but I've like seen them over a screen. Yep. Or like seen them in a show on a screen. And so just like being able to like see people in 3D. I know. It's important. Mm-hmm. Um, I happen to be here in New York City workshopping Reggie Hoops by Christopher mm-hmm. Diaz, which is going to close out our double season. And so oh, I'm so glad so exciting. that we get to have this conversation yeah. live and in the flesh. Yeah. Reggie Hoops is basketball? It is a basketball-themed okay. yeah. play. Yes. Nice. I, I am 100% approving I know that. that you are, yeah. Um, yes, Chris Diaz and sports, who knew? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it's been a while since our patrons have gotten to see you since the artist talk last May. 
Um, tell us a little bit about what's been keeping you busy in the last six months. Uh, so probably if we were talking in May, the writer's strike in Hollywood right. happened. And that was four to five months uh, where all TV and film writing went quiet. Mm -hmm. And what I was doing with my summer was working on uh, the musical adaptation of A Wrinkle in Time. Mm -hmm. So exciting. I love, love, loved that book when I was little. I loved When did you read it? I probably read it in grade school, maybe in like third grade, uh -huh. I want to say. Something like that. I think I read it in middle school, which is about the age of the protagonist, Meg, mm -hmm. when we meet her in A Wrinkle in Time. And I remember deeply relating to her of like, <laughs> I think probably every like 11 year old is like, I'm an outsider, nobody gets me. And, uh, and just feeling like being like smart was cool mm -hmm. and seeing the world differently from other people and, and I, I love those books. Mm -hmm. Yep. So where are you in the process of that musical? We are, we are three and a half years in. Wow. And we are probably a little more than halfway through, <laughs> which is super fast. Mm -hmm. um, it's a nice brisk pace for a musical. Halfway through the development, halfway through a draft. Uh, so last summer when the writers went on strike. Uh, we actually got to do the first public workshop hmm. of the piece, which was presenting the full book of the mu the full book, and maybe about like half of the songs. Mm -hmm. Like maybe like half, like maybe less than half of the music was written. Some of the lyrics of songs were written, so some of those lyrics were just like spoken mm -hmm. as a way of presenting them, even though we weren't done done with them yet. And then there was a chunk of stuff that just like wasn't there yet. <laughs> and the audience like rolled with it. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And so now uh, I like kind of pushed the book as far as I could get. And then our composer, Heather Christian, mm -hmm. has taken all that and she's gone into her cave and has been working on music. And then um, We'll work on the music some more in the spring. And mm -hmm. I think like hopefully by the summer, mm -hmm. we'll have like an actual like full draft mm -hmm. of the show and we'll actually get to hear what everything is all together, which mm -hmm. is going to be really exciting. Amazing. And describe the process of collaborating around the lyrics. That can be so different mm -hmm. for so many different teams. Yeah. And I think like whatever I'm going to say is going to be different from somebody else who's working on a mm -hmm. musical in a totally different way. Um, I think my idea of what it is to do the book is to kind of lay track out for the music to kind of like chug down and also like take pieces of and chew up and like spit into mm -hmm. lyrics and songs. Mm -hmm. So I think like I'm not writing the lyrics, but I'm kind of like an initial springboard mm -hmm. for that of like, here's these images, here's these ideas, mm -hmm. here's these conversations. Do any of them feel musical to you? Mm -hmm. And it's been like fun to see places where Heather has like picked up a piece and been like, oh, okay, how about this in this way? Mm -hmm. Yep. And it's really satisfying. And have songs replaced bits that you thought were going to be book or vice versa? I think so. Yeah, like it's just a musical where 
there's all these like big ideas, mm -hmm. right? There's tesseracts, right? Like kind of traveling through space and time right. <laughs> um, that you can lay out with book, but it's much more successful. I think like once you add the storytelling element of like sound mm -hmm. to it to like help tell that story for you. Um, so, you know, I think, so there's things that like I may have like laid out in scene, you know, that, that are much more fun to listen mm -hmm. to as a song. Mm -hmm. Well, exciting that a first mm -hmm. full draft might yeah. be just a few months away. I'm always surprised again at how many resources it takes mm -hmm. developing a musical and how much it takes simply to hear yeah. what you have, right? Yeah. I mean, a play or an episode, you can gather actors and hear it out loud fairly quickly, but to hear a musical out loud takes a couple weeks of work and yes. a lot of time and effort just to get the songs in bodies. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think of when I do new play workshops, which mm -hmm. to me are always very like fast and furious mm -hmm. and like, I wrote a new scene and right. let's just like read it right now right. or like put it into put it into the public presentation mm -hmm. and like actors roll with it and just musicals it's just like a bigger vehicle with yep. more people in it and so it takes a little more time you know to help you get to the thing that um, you need to get to like when we did the presentation at your New York stage and film um on the book side was me with my computer and then on the music side was like heather who's the composer uh ben moss who's our music director we had uh assistant musical director uh i think another person who was on on the uh on the team on the musical team you know you have a copyist you have orchestrations mm -hmm. um you have to figure out like how they work with all the different vocal parts mm -hmm. so it's just like music music it feels so good and it feels so effortless because right. you put in all that work beforehand that's right and i have a, like a lot of respect for the people who do that because yes. i couldn't do it yes well exciting i can't wait till we all get to hear yeah get to hear a little bit of it and tell us about um after parties yeah so after parties uh it's a it's a book by Anthony Visnasso that I'm helping to executive produce and hopefully we'll be able to, you know, get it, get it up in TV. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and it's actually a book that I'm involved in, um, because I, I met Anthony actually mm -hmm. in the summer of 2020. Mm -hmm. Um, and at the time he was like working on a different novel and i think someone like put us together in a meeting because they're like you should you should talk to him you know mm -hmm. i think they were looking to adapt his work for tv and i met him and i was like i just honestly do not think i am the person to adapt this hmm. i think you should be the person to adapt this you seem <laughs> amazing and you have so many ideas and we just i think like hit it off mm -hmm. and I was like, I, I just think you're amazing and I want to support whatever you want to do in TV and film. Let me know how I can help. And so we had a couple conversations and uh, unfortunately he passed away mm -hmm. uh, at the end of that year. And, um, and it, 
you know, it was tough because it's like seeing someone who's just kind of like a light and like a rocket Mm -hmm. and you're just like, you can do anything you want to do and you kind of know it and you're already on that path. And that collection was such a Mm -hmm. mega hit when it came out. Yeah. And then um, when they came out with after parties, um, you know, there was just a desire, I think, from the estate for me to help shepherd the project Mm -hmm. and... You know, like given that I'd had conversations with Anthony about his work in that space, and then also that just like I cared and it was meaningful for me mm-hmm. to make sure that his work got to be known in kind of a wider space. So, you know, it's it's an ongoing project right now, and hopefully it'll come to fruition mm-hmm. because I think you know, his work deserves it. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. And the other production that has been, it seems to me, mm-hmm. um, taking up part of your time is the last time I saw you, you were uh-huh. much larger uh-huh. with a young oh, yeah, one yeah, yeah. In, your, in your belly. Yep. Um, I remember because we did, when we did like the photo shoot right. for... I think you were seven months pregnant at the time. I think I was something. like pretty pregnant. I think seven months is exactly right. <laughs> I was pretty pregnant. And, uh, and now my youngest daughter is almost two years old. Right. Isn't that nuts? <laughs> yes. Yeah. So how do you make time for all of these projects and family? It's a real good question. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I, I mean, like, honestly, it's hard. Mm-hmm. I think about um, kind of like the transition my life has taken mm-hmm. since, beca- since becoming a parent, you know, which like my oldest, she's five. And it's kind of like, oh, the the. the the kind of rhythms you have as a theater artist when you're younger, when you're like, oh, I can go see the show, or I can hang out at the bar afterwards, mm-hmm. or I can like go away to this festival for a week. Mm-hmm. Um, you just have to be a lot more deliberate mm-hmm. about what, like, what you're capable of, what feels like you can't miss, mm-hmm. um, for for whatever reason, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and and I think it's all it's all doable, but it's hard. Mm-hmm. It requires a lot of planning. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and like just to be honest, I don't get to go out for everything I used to go out right. for. Like I used to I used to be away for rehearsal processes for like months out of the year, mm-hmm. and now it's just like much more targeted. Mm-hmm. Um, and it actually makes me think about what it's like to return to the world of theater, not just like as a parent, but just like people in general hmm. coming out of the pandemic mm-hmm. where they're like, oh, maybe maybe I was a subscriber and I went to see everything, but now my habits and life have changed and I'm much pickier mm-hmm. or, you know, like there has to be like something to it that push that pushes me mm-hmm. to go see the show. So I was like, oh, I was like, I share <laughs> that with like, you know, sub- subscribers. Yes, yeah. Has that impacted how you approach writing, do you think? Um, I think in a way, right? I think, um, I think like I, just like my time is mm-hmm. more in demand kind of from all parts mm-hmm. that, that I need to be more judicious about what I say yes to because like mm-hmm. I can't do everything that I want to do and it's it's not fun but just mm-hmm. like I have to make those choices and 
And it's just like if I'm going to spend my time here, like it should be something that like I'm enjoying and and that like I haven't done before and feels like it really pushes me rather than I should write another play because that's what I do. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, speaking of writing plays, um, I want to talk a little bit about the plays that we're doing in this upcoming series yeah. this month. So we're looking at three plays of yours that are newer and also perhaps lesser known than some of the other work that we've featured. Um, Mother Russia, which is uh, a, a fairly new and as yet unproduced play. Um, Samsara, which is a play that I really, really love and think is so adventurous and wide-ranging. Um, and then Song of Summer, which is this delightful comedy that I think sort of sits on top of these darker and kind of deeper yeah. themes underneath. Um, can we start with Mother Russia? Mother Russia is such a whimsical and delightful and um, really seriously funny play set at the kind of moment of perestroika in Russia and the former Soviet Union. What drew you to that particular moment in time? Uh, I think I was interested in telling a story about America mm -hmm. um, by way of telling a story about the former Soviet Union mm -hmm. um, that I think I wanted to understand kind of what happens when governments change quickly, when, mm. when life shifts right specifically like when the recession happened and it felt like for mm -hmm. a lot of americans like the way of life they'd been promised um just kind of like upended mm -hmm. and and they were thrown into this very maybe scary or confusing or perilous world um where where it's like well what is this world now how do i make choices um, it also felt to me like I was telling the story of what happens to people after college, hmm. right? Where you're like, what is, like, what is my future supposed to be? How do I start making choices? Mm -hmm. Isn't choice perilous mm -hmm. and confusing? And what happens when I don't want to choose? Hmm. Um, and I think also, um, I've somehow written a lot of plays dealing with communism in Asia in the 20th century. Mm -hmm, right. I don't know what it is, but there's something about that um, collision of Western pop culture and communism mm -hmm. that I feel like fascinates me because I think it's a, like another way of seeing America mm -hmm. um, like from a different country's point of view. Mm -hmm. And in this case, in Mother Russia, um, like one of the collisions is like Western culture invading Russia in the early 90s, right? Mm -hmm. When you had images of like the McDonald's that right. suddenly arrived in America or like ads. Just imagine like ads are so American. Right, so ubiquitous here. Yeah, that imagine what it is like to not have known advertisements and then all of a sudden there's these things that are telling you to want stuff. Right. And you're like, what is this? I've never seen this before. Right, right, right. How fascinating. Mm -hmm. And when you talk about um, political systems that shift really quickly and really drastically, mm -hmm. the first thing that came up for me 
of course, was the election in 2016, mm -hmm. yeah. which felt like a particularly stark shift in mm -hmm. who's in control in our government yeah. and, and kind of in the cultural response mm -hmm. to government. Was that in your mind at all as you were starting to investigate this? I think it probably was, but I started the play in uh, 2017 mm -hmm. when probably that was just new and happening mm -hmm. and uh, and I probably hadn't like absorbed it yet formally mm -hmm. I always think it takes about four years to like experience something and then to go oh okay I think I know how this mm -hmm. is a story now in the culture you mean how yeah you... Mm -hmm. or like things that happen to me or like worlds that I encounter that I'm like oh that's interesting mm -hmm. usually like four years later I was like oh now I'm writing a play about it right right you know and speaking of that it strikes me that there are a couple of very distinct strains in your playwriting, right? Mm -hmm. There are the plays that feel like they are very much born out of your life and mm -hmm. family. So I'm thinking yeah. about King of the Years, mm -hmm. which we produced. I'm thinking about The Great Leap, which was mm -hmm. at PCS a few years mm -hmm. ago. Even um, Young Americans, right? Yeah. Which feels very intimate in a way. Um, and then there are these plays like really all three of the ones that we're about mm -hmm. to feature in this festival yeah. that are wildly different from yeah. your own personal experience. Yeah, I, I think that's true. I would say like, I write a lot about families. Mm -hmm. I write a lot about history. Mm. Um, sometimes it will be plays and stories that feel very like close to my experience and then some kind of feel like catapulted out there <laughs> um, and are just worlds that I'm Oh, I'm, I want to explore that more. I don't mm -hmm. understand. Um, you know, like I think Samsara comes from me reading about something and not quite understanding it. Hmm. Um, something in particular, in specific? Yeah, I think probably around like 2008, there was this boom in gestational surrogacy in India hmm. where you had a lot of Western couples that would go to India and basically like have surrogates, have a surrogate with their baby like in India mm -hmm. um, just because of like economics. Mm -hmm. and, and it was one of those situations where it's like, in a way all parties got what they wanted, um, that, pe that a couple might get a baby, they're gonna pay you know, a surrogacy fee to someone who was like, yes, this money can make a difference in our lives. But there was also like whenever I told someone about the industry, they're like, oh, that feels icky. Hmm. And I can't mm -hmm. like explain why, but there's something that feels kind of like, are the women being exploited? Does it mm -hmm. feel like there's kind of like, like a colonialism mm -hmm. tinge to it? Who are these people? Um, and so it was, some, it was just like a world that I was fascinated by. Mm -hmm. And I think like so much of it like there's so much around like parenthood and motherhood and just like physically having a baby that feels steeped in like longing and waiting and desire mm. and ideas about what it means to biologically have a child that is your own mm -hmm. um, or what it is to be a surrogate and like do you imbue any of yourself in this mm. child that you're carrying or are you just kind of like a package that is, you know, a package that is carrying the contents mm -hmm. of something inside. Mm -hmm. I mean, one of the things that I really love about that play is mm -hmm. 
the relationship between a meat, the embryo, mm-hmm. really, right, and um, and Soraya, who mm-hmm. is carrying him, and her, well, really, both of their kind of ambivalent, mm-hmm. tense relationship to one another. Yeah, because I think it's like that, that fantastical relationship comes from this young woman who has a baby inside of her that is not hers and that she's pretty pragmatic and almost like cynical about the whole thing. That she's just like, I'm doing this for the money. I don't want to get attached. And she finds herself in like almost like a dream space of like, oh no, who is this? Who is this baby? Why why do they look, you know, Mm -hmm. like my biological child might look? Why are they having a conversation with me? Why do I find myself being attached? Mm-hmm. This is strange. I don't like it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so did you um, do any research in terms of writing this play, either into the experience mm-hmm. of surrogacy or mm-hmm. into this, as you say, colonial relationship between mm-hmm. American um, mm-hmm. uh, uh, couples wanting to have a baby and surrogates in India? Yeah, I mean, I think my my research process is a little backwards, hmm. probably compared to most people, where I will kind of have an idea and I will go as far as I can mm-hmm. in terms of like, let me imagine what this is like um, or what is this world like. And then usually I'll come up against a wall mm-hmm. uh, in my own in my own writing of like, oh, okay, now it's a good time to like do some real research and figure out like what this world actually is. Uh, And so, yeah, so like, I think I kind of started with like my very like loose musings and then eventually got to like the more, you know, the actual research. Mm -hmm. And, And what did that research look like? I think, I mean, I think it was a lot about like reading people's experiences, Mm -hmm. um, I think like reading up on the industry, I think like reading about cases where like the process went astray or people kind of ran into, you know, like like situations where kind of the baby was caught in it or um, just like in the ways like the, I think people's dreams of what it was supposed to be went awry. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, it's interesting talking about surrogacy, about baby making, about mm-hmm. adoption, which is yeah. um, in Song of Summer, in terms of what you were saying about Mother Russia and choice. Mm-hmm. And also it strikes me that having a baby is such a future-looking mm-hmm. enterprise, right? Yeah. It's so full of our hopes for mm-hmm. ourselves, for that young person, yeah. and an imagining of the world that they're coming into. And yeah. so... And it's such a watershed moment. I mean, talk about a sea change, Mm -hmm. right? Personally, that matches kind of the political. um, So it's interesting to think about these sort of epical kind of moments of change and of choice in this way. Yeah. these plays. No, it's true. (laughs) Song of Summer, which is the third play that we're going to be doing in this reading series, seems like it might have been inspired, perhaps, by the real-life controversy around Robin Thicke's song, Blurred Lines. Uh, it's about a pop star who has a breakout song in the summer, the sort of anthem of the summer, um, and it comes under scrutiny for lyrics that um, might perpetuate rape culture mm-hmm. and certainly are um, 
it's interesting to think about how the culture has shifted even in those in the last five years yeah. around things like that, right? Um, but also around cultural appropriation and just appropriation in general as um, he was sued by Marvin Gaye's estate for copyright infringement and he lost that, yeah. um, that case. Did you have that song in mind as you were writing or was it simply a, something that was sort of uh, felt current in the moment? So I definitely had that court case in mind when I wrote the play. I was interested in, um, you know, essentially what it what is it to plagiarize someone else, mm -hmm. um, and what does it mean for kind of acts acts of creation? Who gets credit for what? Who gets to enjoy success? Mm -hmm. um, and and whether like that kind of success makes you happier, <laughs> gives you gives you what you want. You know, I think like as artists, we're constantly figuring out how to deal with our own ambition and <laughs> goals as artists. Mm -hmm. We're like, is this enough? Have I succeeded? Is this good? Mm -hmm. Does it matter that critics liked it or not? Mm -hmm. If our mother didn't like it or we didn't like it or our partner, you know, says, <laughs> I thought your other one was better. Um, has your partner said things like that to you? I mean, I think he, I think he has like uh, preferences, but I mostly agree with his preferences. Uh -huh. So I'm like, okay. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I think I was interested in like the act of creation. Mm -hmm. It strikes me too that that play is about the one who gets out mm -hmm. of the small town yeah. and also the one who stays, right? Yeah. Who chooses to stay to invest in a less public life, mm -hmm. right? A smaller life. Yeah. Um, and the various values that we place mm -hmm. on those. Yeah. Have you experienced that that um, mm. that kind of choice making or those kind of questions? Yeah. I mean, I don't think I was necessarily. Um, kind of place in exactly the circumstances as right, the characters are in Song of Summer. City, yeah. I was like, oh, I didn't grow up in a small city and I right. never had like a number one <laughs> billboard hit, unfortunately. Right, right. Um, you know, but I am someone who was like the one in her family who like got away. Mm -hmm. I, all my family lives in Northern California. It is like a place that I love, but also a place where I was like, oh, I don't think I'm going to grow here. Mm -hmm. I don't think I'm going to grow here and based on like what I want to do I have to go somewhere else mm -hmm. and that's great and it's a bummer and sad and I mm -hmm. wish I were closer and you know and I think there's like intangible things in life that that you give up and it's almost less of a choice like you don't even know that these things are happening mm -hmm. um, and I was like oh like what what do like, when do you mourn those things? Mm -hmm. yeah. yep. I know you have to run. Mm -hmm. Do you have time for two more yes, questions? Yes, go for it. I'm curious, there's a lot of conversation in mm -hmm. our industry, in the culture, around who gets to write whose stories mm -hmm. and what yeah. stories. And that's not a new question, of course. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's one that we've been wrestling with yeah. for decades. But it feels like it's had a different kind of um, mm -hmm. currency in the last yeah. five years. You yeah. Know? Can you talk a little bit about your relationship to that question of who yeah. gets to write what stories and what you see as the 
responsibilities, but also the joys and potentials of writing outside yeah. of one's particular yeah. experience? Yeah. I think writers have the ability to write outside their own personal experience. I think, you know, like, even if I'm writing about Asian American, you know, people, I have a limited experience as kind of like a hetero cis Chinese American woman. Mm -hmm. And so like writing about Asian American masculinity or um, writing about people in another time period. I feel like I feel like there's always stretching that we do as writers. Mm -hmm. And and I think it's our our job to imagine ourselves um, like in in other identities and trying to figure out um, like how to tell the story that we want to tell. I think in addition to that, I think having empathy for like okay, this story that you tell that may be, out, be outside your lived experience, what might be helpful to further the dialogue? Or what would that person in real life, what would, what would be the story that they would roll their eyes at and be like, oh, I've heard a million times. Or like, oh, that's actually something that's interesting. Mm -hmm. um, and like how, like, how do you contribute to that? Mm -hmm. um, you know, and I think also any criticism is valid, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, that, I, that I think you do open yourself to criticism and I think like a willingness to like listen and learn mm -hmm. and, um, and try, to tell, try to tell something that feels like truthful. Mm -hmm. and, um, and I feel like that's the best you can do. But I think like in art making, there is there is it there is a need i think to tell stories that go beyond who you are exactly mm -hmm. um, and trying to figure out how to do that with like care and coming up with things that feel like new and relevant mm -hmm. i think it's tricky i i do not think that there is one good answer mm -hmm. do you rely on or call upon collaborators in a different way when when you're writing something that is a little more expansive in that way i think so i think there's a lot of like listening i'll do to be mm -hmm. like tell me tell me where it feels genuine tell me where it feels inauthentic mm -hmm. um i think i will try to provide something that doesn't feel like it's been done before mm -hmm. um no and when you say you think there's a need for mm -hmm. us to write outside of our mm -hmm. personal experience, can you say a little more about why that feels necessary mm -hmm. and important? I think if you only wrote what your exact identity is, I think there would be no other force to kind of push against, right? You could only write a solo show. Mm -hmm. You could only write a solo show of someone speaking to themselves. Uh -huh. And I think like to be able to portray views that are different than yours, views that kind of push against what yours is. Like, mm -hmm. I feel like that that kind of friction is important. Mm -hmm. And like, even to like portray characters that you think are wrong. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, that I, that I think that, 
that's important too. Mm-hmm. One of the goals in this series that we're doing is to explore a little bit of the breadth mm-hmm. of your writing. You're such a prolific writer yeah. and you've written in so many different styles and, mm-hmm. and about so many different um, ideas and people mm-hmm. and milieu. Um, do you have a sense of your writing changing at all? When you think back to mm-hmm. the plays that you wrote, you know, let's say in the last decade, yeah to the things that are really captivating Mm -hmm. your mind right now and or stylistically things that you're Mm -hmm. trying, doing, leaning into that you weren't doing a decade ago. Mm -hmm. What comes to mind? Uh, I think I understand like structure and theme Mm -hmm. more than I did, you know, like 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. I think like more of my work is adaptation and trying to... Mm -hmm. um, like sift through story like real stories or stories that have been written before and like how do you have a perspective on those Mm -hmm. and i think there there is something still heightened about my work but i think there's a sense of groundedness Mm -hmm. that was different before Mm -hmm. and i think just like as a writer i used to use like magic as a way of like it's a hard scene i'm not gonna write it (laughs) let me just magic it out (laughs) And now I'm like, okay, let's try to write the hard scene and see what it looks like. Mm-hmm. So I think like a willingness to like sit with the hard topics more and see what comes out. Mm-hmm. It sounds great. I can't wait to hear what comes next from you. Me too. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for chatting. Thank you, Lauren. Thank you for making time. It's always great to speak with you. Thank you for tuning in for today's episode of Satellite. Thanks especially to our guest, Lauren Yee, for making time in her busy schedule to talk to us. And thanks to our audio engineer, Robert Gonio, for making everything sound better than it otherwise would. I'm Profile Theater's Director of Community Engagement, Tamara Carroll, and I hope you will all join us for the Lauren Yee Festival February 23rd through 25th. Tickets are only $10 per performance, so please head over to profiletheater.org and get some tickets. We will see you there.